0: You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one, episode number 58. We call this one Meet the New Cubs. And we always want to remind you to download our podcast, to review the podcast, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast.
1: In this segment, Crowley's talking to former Cub broadcaster, now Braves broadcaster, Chip Carey, about Dansby Swanson. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast Chip Carey, play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Braves with Bally Sports South. You may remember him from his time here in the booth with the Chicago Cubs. Chip, thank you for joining me today. How are you today? Great to
0: be with you. I look a little different now. The hair is still long, but the beard's gotten kind of gray. A few more lines around the eyes, but uh, yeah, great to be with you. Great to talk baseball any time of the year. And uh, first and foremost, Merry Christmas to everybody.
1: Uh, thank you, and to you and your family as well. Thank
0: you. Thank you. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great holiday.
1: Yes, sir. Now, the first time I ever remembered seeing you on the broadcast was when you, your dad, Skip, you're both broadcasting for the Braves and your grandfather, Harry, was, was, was you know, with the Cubs. And you guys did a segment before a Cubs Brave game on May 13th. I think you said, hi, I'm Chip Carey and I'm a baseball announcer. And your dad and your grandpa went the ha- same thing. And uh, I was just wondering, what do you remember from that amazing day at Wrigley Field where you became the first three generation family to broadcast a baseball game? Well, the
0: great thing about getting old is it gives you perspective and wisdom, right? In the moment, I don't remember any of it. It went by in in a huge blur. Uh, I was still in the infancy stages of my baseball broadcasting career, and I was just getting to hang out with my dad and do a game at Wrigley Field. You know, people know my family's history. My uh, My dad and grandfather were both divorced from their spouses, so I didn't know either one of them particularly well growing up. And so for me to get to spend any time with my grandfather was a really special thing. And I didn't understand the magnitude of that until many, many years later. Look, he was an orphan. He grew up in St. Louis, didn't know his parents. And the greatest uh, honor a a man of that era could have was to have his son follow in his footsteps. And for a guy that grew up without much uh, male authority in his life to see his son, meaning my dad, do what he's doing, and then to see his grandson doing it. Uh, with the then Orlando Magic and the Braves and then later the Cubs was, I think, the culmination of kind of the American dream. So looking at it through those eyes and through that prism, it's a lot more special now. I have kids of my own. Two of them want to be broadcasters too, and I hope to stick around long enough in the major leagues, wherever I am, to be able to hand the torch to them and see where they can proudly take it. But obviously that's something our family is very proud of. It's something that probably won't happen anytime again soon. And for that one magical moment, our family as a broadcasting group, as a family per se, was whole. And uh, that's something that I didn't uh, get to close in my time with the Cubs. And fortunately for me personally, I was able to close it a bit when I went back to Atlanta and left the Cubs to go work with my dad with the Braves.
1: Yeah, I mean, not only that, you have a half brother who does Trash Panda games, who the, who the Tennessee Smokies knocked out in the postseason this year, and then your your sons both broadcast for the Double A Armadillos. So if one of them or both of them make it up, that'd be four generation of carries in the broadcast booth. That's yeah, just got to be unreal.
0: We're tougher to kill off in COVID, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's. Uh, yeah. As I said a moment ago, it really is an American dream type thing, not from our standpoint, which sounds so selfish, but when you think about where Harry came from and what he started, uh, no parents, I mean, orphan, uh, growing up penniless in St. Louis, and through the sheer will of his determination, becoming a baseball fan and getting to be the voice of the Cardinals, and then he builds a Hall of Fame career, and then he raises a son who wanted to do what he did, and his first son wanted to do what he did, and for me, My first and second and my third son. I have a 14-year-old that's interested in broadcasting, too, to kind of follow in this uh, tradition, if you will. It's it's really pretty remarkable, and we're very proud of that. But that said, we're no different than a family that owns a plumbing business or a mortuary or is in a law firm. It just happens that we get to watch baseball and talk about it on radio or TV, and we're very, very grateful for that. It's just what we do. It's the skill set that the good Lord gave us. Look, I can't uh, dig ditches. I can't do calculus. I can barely balance my checkbook. I can say ball two pretty well. And I think my kids can do that, too. So that's the talent that we were given. And um, I'm very proud of what I've been able to accomplish. I'm very proud of what my sons are doing. And as I said before, I just hope to hang on long enough with these gray whiskers that they'll be able to take the next step forward and take our family name, if they so choose, uh, to the next realm, whatever that's going to be.
1: Yeah. Now, you, you, you got your first job. We're talking 91, 92. You're with the, uh, the Braves with your dad, like you said. And then again through 2005 and eight. How much fun was it sharing a booth with your dad? And what did you learn from your father when it came to the craft of broadcasting? Oh,
0: my dad was my hero. Uh, my parents divorced. I still remember when my dad left and drove away. Uh, my mom explained it to me he's going away on a very long road trip. Uh, I was five years old. I never forgot that day. Uh, I didn't see him a lot growing up. I would see him when he'd come to St. Louis, where I grew up with the Braves, and I'd see him a couple of times a year. And that was pretty much it. And to get a chance to reconnect with my dad at that stage in his life, and for me personally, married with children, to see him be a grandfather, to be able to be his son. And by that, I mean, in the latter days of my dad's life, he wasn't particularly healthy But I'd get to go pick up his dry cleaning. I'd get his bags from the lobby of the hotel. I'd go have a drink with him after the game. I would take him to the doctor's visits. All of those things that I missed out on as a kid uh, really humanized my dad and I think humanized me too. Uh, We were both sort of mythical creatures in each other's uh, uh, spheres of influence, if you will. He didn't get me and I didn't get him. And to be able to get him at the end of his life for the last four or five years and spend a lot of quality time with him, as hard as it was for me to leave the Cubs – that was the most rewarding thing that I could have done. And uh, I don't regret that for a minute. Uh, you know, my dad, as I said, was the guy that hung the moon for me. And I hope that I'm, be, I'm, I'm doing the same thing for my kids. And I hope that when I'm gone, they'll think of me and all those stupid lessons and things that I pound in their heads that drive them crazy, that they'll remember that that comes from a place of love like it did for my dad and me. So unforgettable great time uh we we bonded very quickly as broadcast people but as people and parents and sons it was it was the best
1: yeah now so late in 1997 it's announced that you're going to be joining your grandfather in the booth unfortunately harry passed away in february in 1998 that that had to have been a tough loss because i know you were probably looking forward to spending that time with your grandfather in the booth in chicago
0: Yeah, in many ways, Tom Brennan was Harry's grandson, and I mean that with all due respect. Tommy is a great friend and great broadcaster and did such a great job for so many years. Um, The Cubs offered me the radio job years earlier, and I couldn't take it for myriad reasons. Uh, And when the first opportunity for me to come to Chicago came through, again, I couldn't take it for myriad reasons. And My grandfather wasn't very happy. We didn't speak for months. I finally had to call my dad and say, look, get him off my back. I've got a wife. I've got a kid. I I can't live in Chicago for X number of dollars. And Harry said, well, you don't understand. Chicago is the greatest city in the world, blah, 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 blah. My dad finally said, "Okay, then you pay him the difference. Well, (laughs) you know, suddenly he backed off, right? He he had to understand it from that perspective. Um, But yes, it was, um, uh, you know, it was. It was hard not taking that job, but it was wonderful eventually being able to come back and knowing that I made that phone call and said, well, it took us five years longer than we thought, but you've got a partner. And he was very excited about that because I think the one thing that my grandfather missed, or, and I call him Harry because in many ways he wasn't grandfatherly with me, uh, was that sense of connection. He wanted to understand what I was about. He was very proud of the fact that I was doing NBA basketball. He was very proud that I was making a name for myself. But I think in his own way, he wanted to kind of close that loop. And for me personally, as a baseball fan and lover of the history and and lore of the game, there's a great sense of loss. Harry Carey saw some of the first games Jackie Robinson played. Harry Carey saw every at-bat that Stan Musial had in the major leagues. Harry Carey rode the trains and played uh, cards with Leo DeRocher. Uh, Harry Carey saw Bob Gibson pitch. I mean, all of those things that would be such a part of the fabric and fiber of loving our sport and carrying that forward were lost when i didn't get a chance to spend that kind of time with him and so um between that and the obviously funny stories that tom brennan and ron santo had and all the crazy nights out that harry had those are all things that i I really missed and would have treasured to this day um but you know the old saying make plans god laughs that the plan was that it was up to me to try to carry that torch forward as best as i could with arnie harris and steve stone and I'm very proud of of what I was able to do in a very short period of time up there.
1: Well, speaking of of Steve Stone and Arnie, I mean, I'm a product of that product, you know, of that broadcast as far as Arnie and Harry and Steve. And so I remember, you know, Steve learning under Harry and I've read Steve's book, Where's Harry? It's a great book. But now all of a sudden where, where Harry kind of taught Steve how to kind of go about doing it, you are now in the broadcast booth. With Steve Stone, how did he help you out, especially that first season with the Cubs after your grandfather had passed away? Steve and I had one production meeting, one,
0: and it was on the way to the opening day game in Miami in 1998. He said, I'll rent the car you drive, you're from Florida, tell me, you know, you'll figure out how to get us to the ballpark. So I'm in the car, I'm driving. He says, So how's this going to work? And I said, Well, it's really simple. My job is to talk about the ball in play, your job's to tell me. Why, what happened, or what you think is going to happen. And that was pretty much it. I mean, we, we talked about philosophies, and I said, look, Steve, I'm not here to be Harry Carey. I'm never going to be Harry Carey. I'm not the star of the show. This is a we thing. If you're good, I'm going to be good. If I suck, you're going to suck. And it's up to us to find a way to work together to put on a broadcast that's worthy of the sea on the hat and something our fans can be proud of. So we do that first game. And look, when you go to a new team, you can't help – feeling um, impotent because you don't know the team the way that Steve Stone Steve Stone has forgotten more about baseball than I ever will and my job is to say ball to here's who's up call the ball in play try to set him up and get out of the way and let him broadcast because in my belief on television TV is an analyst driven game play by play guy talks but when the analyst drives the conversation when the analyst predicts what's going to happen which as you know Steve has the most unbelievable ability to do that that's when the game's at its best. So we finished the game. I think the Cubs lost. It was a close game, well played. And I say, oh okay, well, until tomorrow, Chip Carey, Steve Stone, we'll see you tomorrow night. Steve takes off his headsets. And if you know Steve, he's got the driest and just most sarcastic and sardonic sense of humor. <laughs> takes his headsets and throws them on the desk. And he goes, well, that was just great. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what did I do? You know, I mean, he already hates me. I'm scared to death. I'm trying to follow Harry Carey, blah, blah, blah. I look at with with these big, wide eyes, and he leans over, and I've never forgotten this, he leans over with his hand out and said, I want to thank you. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance, from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. said what do you mean he said for the first time in 17 years i feel like i'm a partner in the broadcast and that's the basis of the friendship and partnership that we developed this is taking nothing away from what he and harry had together harry was the star of the show it was the harry Carey show and steve was kind of the uh accessory that's why the book was titled where's harry what's the most off question you've been asked steve where's harry (laughs) for uh, us it was it's steve and chip and i was more than content with that and the trust that we built after that very first game and the fun that we had and the things that he taught me about the business and Chicago and WGN and the Tribune company were incredibly, were incredibly valuable. I'll never forget them. And I still consider Steve one of the best, if not the best analyst in baseball and one of my dearest friends.
1: Yeah, we were very excited here in Chicago. Pat Hughes just uh, has gotten awarded the Ford Frick. But also Steve Stone was up for it. And, and like I said, growing up with Steve Stone, I, I'd love to see, you know, Pat was absolutely, to me, the most, uh, you know, deserving candidate. And Steve Stone's right up there, and I'm hoping he's right behind Pat. Me too,
0: me too. He's uh, Steve's a, 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 a veritable encyclopedia Britannica of baseball. He knows his stuff. He makes the people around him better. And I think when you look at the craft of analyzing the game from a player's perspective, new age, old age, whatever you want to call it, there aren't many better than he, and I'm sure that his time for Cooperstown will come.
1: Now, you picked a fun year to have your first year in Chicago, uh, Chip. You know, May 6, 1998. There, I, there, what do you think? 14,000 in the crowd?
0: Maybe. Maybe? <laughs> Maybe. It was uh, It's funny. I know you're talking Kerry Wood. Um, the day before, Shane Reynolds had sat across the street from my wife and me at the Cheesecake Factory on Michigan Avenue and watching him pitch. I think he struck out 11 guys in the game. Uh, it was a cold, misty, gray, cold, typical Chicago May Day. And I think everybody in the, in the stadium was wondering, okay, well, Kerry Wood, rookie, we've heard a lot about this guy. He throws hard. And back in the day, 95 was really hard. Now that's almost pedestrian, almost average, um, you know, average velocity in the sport now. Uh, but what's he going to do against this, this Astros lineup? I mean, the Killer Bees, BGO Bagwell, Bell, all those really great players uh, for Kerry Wood. It was his coming out performance. For me personally, broadcasting the game, I think it was kind of my coming out performance. The two of us are, I think, in in a weird way are kind of um, uh, linked together because that was the stage for Kerry Wood to announce his presence in Major League Baseball. And for me, I think looking back, it was kind of like, wow, this guy is pretty good at what he does. He knows what he's doing. A big moment. The first big moment really that we had in 1998 And uh, it was one of Steve's and my best broadcasts because of the historic nature of it. So, uh, great day, one I'll never forget. And according to all the people who gauge and value pitching performances, they say it's the most dominating pitching performance in the history of Major League Baseball. And for me, it was five weeks into my broadcasting career with the Cubs. As you said, not a bad way to debut.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that ninth inning, you had to I mean, were you just excited trying to kind of stay calm as far as knowing that that record was on the line?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm as you can tell, I like to talk. Uh, I have a lot of words that I try to get out. Um, I think those of us who work on TV, that's the biggest problem we have. You don't need to say anything. And uh, when I saw Sandy Martinez put down, you know, slider and I said, here comes the hook. Um, You know, for whatever reason, that call seemed to resonate with people. And thank God he threw a slider and I was right. Um, But, you know, yeah, you you think about those moments and people that sit in our chairs. It's really funny. What matters most is not talking about a second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates in July. And yeah, we can get off topic and we can, you know, release the pressure and have a little fun. But when the moments are big, that's when you have to step up and be ready. And more often than not, not saying anything is the best. I think I said 20 strikeouts and I shut up and let the crowd go crazy. Um, yeah, that was, that was a magical moment. I, I don't know if we'll ever see another game like that in, in not only Cubs history, Major League history. To have a front seat for that, as I said, five weeks into my career with a new organization in a major market, with a a last name of mine trying to find my own way and be myself and not live under this shadow of Harry Carey. Yeah, that was a that was a big moment. And uh, one I'm really, really grateful to have been a very, very, very small part of.
1: Very, very small part here is this. This is uh, one of the K's. Yeah, there you go. This is actually one of the legitimate K's. The guy that was out there, Tom Bonjowski, was my PE teacher, middle school PE teacher. So he was the one passing out all those case signs and later on putting the paint on the bellies of the guys. I mean, everything about that game was just magical. And, and, you know, when we talk about magical things in 98, you also had a front re- front row seat to the uh, social McGuire home run race to try to catch Rogers Maris uh, single home run silly single season home run record of 61 home runs. I mean, it was just so poetic that McGuire breaks the record in St. Louis, you know, just, you know, the, the Marist family there and everything like that. What do you remember most about that home run race?
0: Uh, just the, the back and forth of it, Big City against St. Louis. You know, obviously the Cubs-Cardinal rivalry needs no more fuel. Uh, you had two great, two great sluggers. And, look, we, we, we have to be sure to understand that we're looking at those events through a different prism than we were looking at them at the time, right? We don't know what guys were doing. Obviously, the steroid era was a huge part of that discussion. That said, they still had to hit the ball. And day in, day out, Sammy would hit two on Wednesday afternoon. McGuire would hit one Wednesday night and then Thursday afternoon. It was back and forth. It was truly two heavyweight boxers punching and counterpunching. As a kid who grew up in St. Louis and grew up an enormous Cardinal fan, uh, to be at Bush Stadium the night that McGuire broke the record was unbelievable. Um, you know, I know the history of both franchises. I know how passionate Cardinals fans are and how knowledgeable they are. But for me personally, uh, what made that moment so special was looking two booths to my left. McGuire hits the home run. Remember, there was a big controversy over how much the ball was going to be worth and who's going to catch it. How much are they going to sell it for you? Remember all that craziness yeah. that was going on? The ball crept over the left field fence. And a groundskeeper picked up the ball, a kid that was in college, and he just said, here, Mark, this is yours. You earned it. He didn't want any money and and obviously reaped a whole bunch of rewards from that. But you mentioned the Maris family was there. The fireworks are going off. I looked to my left, and the guy that was my childhood broadcasting hero, Jack Buck, is standing in the Cardinals radio booth with his red jacket, standing and applauding with tears streaming down his face. He grew up in an era where he got to see Babe Ruth. He got to watch Roger Maris play and work for the Cardinals, and knowing that jack buck was watching this moment uh and seeing that firsthand was really really cool you know he hits the home run i think i said he did it about seven times and then we shut up and for about 10 minutes we just let the crowd do what it was going to do i think paul harvey another chicago guy gave steve and me and arnie harris a whole lot of credit for just letting that moment speak for itself because there was nothing else we could add to it it was a, a magical thing great for our sport great for both franchises and Again, even looking through the events through the prism of the things we know or we think we know now, it was still an unbelievable accomplishment for people who love this sport and love both players. Right.
1: And then and then, then the incredible thing about 98 is it ends with probably one of the craziest weeks as far as that back-and-forth race. You had the Mets in it, and you had San Francisco in it. The Brant Brown Ball, everyone remembers Santos' famous call on that, or Whale, I guess, is better than a call on that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it looks like the Cubs are going to get eliminated. Nafi Perez hits a walk-off homer, forcing a one-game playoff at Wrigley. I mean, that was just, that had to have been insane. Everything going on, just the highs and the lows of just that last week alone.
0: Yeah, well, that's what makes it fun, right, is the rollercoaster of emotions. And we were doing the game in Houston, the Cubs lost, and we're about to sign off. And Tal Smith, who was the president and GM of the Astros at the Astrodome, starts banging on the glass next to us and says, look at the TV monitor, Nafee Perez just hit home run." And I said, there's going to be a one-game playoff at Wrigley Field tomorrow night against the Giants. So, yeah, I mean, um, as you said earlier, you're right. When you go to a new market and you go to a new team, and even if you have the last name or not, you want to have a good team to help ease your transition. And for me, the 98 Cubs, with all the great storylines that took place, with all the great personalities that were on that roster and in that front office, uh, I couldn't think of a better entree for somebody like me to – sort of slide in and try not to mess it up and and, and enjoy a 162 game crazy ride which it was <laughs>